Hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and if you're curious about where innovative ideas meet practical realities in food production, I think you found the right show, and I'm sure glad you're here. We've talked about automation in this industry for as long as I've been around, and to me, it really does feel like we're starting to go from talking about something that might happen in the distant future, maybe, to actually seeing some real commercial applications of robotics on the farm. Now, it's a big difference between going to a farm show and seeing something cool and actually seeing it being purchased and utilized on a farm. Now, this transition is not a quick one, obviously, and it's not going to happen overnight, but I do think it's a defining trend that we're living through right now in today's agriculture. We have on the show today another great example of this in Gus Automation. Gus stands for Global Unmanned Spray System, and joining me for today's episode is COO Gary Thompson. As the name sort of implies, Gus sells fully autonomous sprayers for use in orchards and vineyards, which is really interesting because in crops like that, no piece of equipment goes through those operations more than a sprayer does. So the savings and efficiencies you're about to hear about are pretty compelling. Gary's going to share about their interesting story of how this technology was developed out of their traditional custom spraying business, how they've grown without outside capital to start selling these machines, the value and the benefits of them for farmers and other custom sprayers, and what these capabilities mean for the future of agriculture. Gus actually came up on another podcast I host called the Almond Journey Podcast. So for any of those of you interested in almonds specifically as a crop, I highly recommend you subscribing to that one as well. It's a little shorter than this one with a little bit of a different feel. And of course, it's focused specifically on almonds. Anyway, I was talking to a grower on that podcast about his low dust harvest equipment, but he made the point of talking about how happy he was with these autonomous sprayers he was purchasing from Gus. And whenever I hear unsolicited testimonials like that, it always catches my attention for future guests of this podcast. Gus is based in Kingsburg, California, not really that far away from Pixley, where Calgren Dairy Fuels is located that you heard about in last week's episode. In fact, next week's guest is also based in the Central Valley of California, so you're getting a little bit of a, a California mini-series here, I guess, by accident. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Gary Thompson, who's on the show today from Gus, grew up on a dairy farm in Arizona and went to Cal Poly, where he met a lot of people from the Central Valley of California. It was there he got connected with Gus, where he now oversees all daily operations, and that includes manufacturing, sales, marketing, finances, dealers, and customer relations. I asked if he'd maybe start our conversation off with a brief explanation of why spraying orchards is definitely not the same thing as spraying other crops, like row crops. So spraying orchards is incredibly tedious. So Essentially, you're constrained to very um, small widths. So most of the trees are planted on roughly a 20, 22 foot row in that range. So given that the trees are there, you're not able to stick 138 foot booms out and cover a bunch of ground. So you're essentially driving the field every 20 feet, more or less. The other constraint there is the speed that you have to drive, you have to go very slow to ensure that you're getting good coverage up high into the tree canopy. So two miles an hour is very, very common in the tree spraying business. You're just trying to allow that sprayer enough time to really coat the leaves and 
give the fan on the sprayer, it's basically an air blast sprayer, big fan on the back, give it a lot of time to create turbulence up in the leaves, to flip the leaves back and forth, which gives the spray time to coat the leaves as you're going through there. So very tedious task as compared to row crop spraying. And typically what you're going to do is you're going to have a lot of equipment in a small area. So common for us um, in our business to have, you know, eight sprayers maybe in one 160 acre almond field, for example. So a lot of equipment in a very small amount of area. And obviously almonds are huge crop in California and, and one that you're very well suited for. In fact, do you know Brett Sill down there? I interviewed him for the almond podcast and he was talking about his gust sprayers and how he wished he would have bought more. But uh, what, what other crops are you already in and or looking at expanding into with this technology? Yeah, so I know Brett well. Um, he's a, a great customer of ours, and we hope to be selling him many more sprayers as well. As far as other crops, um, the biggest thing on the horizon for us is we're coming out with a, a smaller version of our machine. Uh, we call it Mini Gus, and it's probably since we started with Gus uh, a few years ago. The number one question we we always get is, "Oh, that's great. When are you going to develop something I can run in my vineyard? You know, something smaller." So. We've developed that. We're going to be bringing it to market here very shortly. Vineyards can be a big crop for us, um, as well as high-density orchards. So like, for example, up in Washington, Oregon, a lot of apples are grown high-density. So on, on trellis, on 10-foot rows, and very high spraying demand for those crops. You know, some of them being sprayed 25, 30 plus times per year. And then more recently, we've, we've really been talking with a lot of blueberry growers as well. Um, again, and high demand for spraying. So that machine would fit nicely in, in blueberries as well. Man, this is cool stuff. Well, you know, you guys have a great origin story, right? You didn't start off as how can we create a robot? You started off as how can we spray better, right? So talk about the origin of the company. What question was being asked that eventually led to Gus? Yeah, sure. So we do have a pretty unique story uh, as far as an autonomous company goes. So our background of our company goes back about 40 years. Dave Crinklaw, he's the founder of, of the business. He started a commercial spraying outfit here in California back in 1982. And it was just him and his father at the time. And each of them had a tractor and each had a sprayer and they'd go out and spray 20 or 40 acres a day. And you know, just really worked their tails off to grow business. And Dave kind of soon realized that in order to really uh, make a profitable business out of this, that he needed to eventually get off the tractor. So he started hiring more help and buying more equipment and expanding that business. So Bob eventually retired out and Dave just kind of took it and ran with it and really started picking up some big accounts. So being in that business as long as he has, he grew it very large, currently the largest ground tree and vine spray outfit in California. And, you know, about 130 spray rigs total, a lot of employees obviously come along with that. And labor just really, really started taking its toll. The challenges there with the labor on the company. Essentially, it got to the point where Dave um, kind of was at a crossroads. He thought, well, nothing's really getting better in this regard. So should I either kind of set up a plan to get out of this business or should we innovate and do something about it? He had had this idea about a driverless sprayer for quite some time. And in 2014, he finally decided to start building it. 
and um, really at the time had zero clue how he was going to automate it. And all he kept being told over and over by anyone he'd ask is, oh, it can't be done in orchards because of the GPS problem. You get under the trees, GPS goes away. And, you know, how are you going to make an autonomous machine without GPS? Well, Dave didn't take too well to that answer. So he's decided, you know what? I got to build a machine. I got to start with a platform. That's, you know, his bread and butter. He knows how to build a high quality piece of equipment. So he just started building the platform and then set off on the course of about a three and a half year process of figuring out how to make it drive down a row, make a turn and come back to him. So that's our background. When we first got the machine actually drivable in 2017-ish, just literally able to drive down a row, come back to us without going off course, without you know hitting a tree. At that point, we started calling our customers in that business and said, hey, look, you guys have probably caught wind of what we've been working on the last few years. Well, we're ready to come out and actually do commercial spraying with it. And we're hoping we can come to our next application on your farm with it. And overwhelmingly, the growers were like, yes, bring it out. We want this. Ag needs this. We're happy to have it on our farm. So that was a huge turning point for us because first off, it was the first time we were actually getting paid for all of our R&D and our work that we had been doing the last few years. So we were taking it out on real jobs, doing real applications with it, and you know, really just fine-tuning the product, improving the user interface just debugging and we just you know hit it really hard for a couple of years there so about that time uh, we really were getting a lot of attention from farmers as you could imagine and a lot of the farmers are saying man this is great this is awesome what you guys have done but I really don't like to hire services on my farm I like to own my own equipment I like to be in control of everything I do just sell me some of them and that wasn't what we were doing. You know, we created this machine to solve our own challenge, but it really got us thinking about, you know what, maybe this is something we ought to take to the market and really allow other farmers to experience the benefits of this machine. So that's what we did. 2019, we built a, a new building to manufacture out of and made our first delivery to a customer in December of 2019. Sure. So has the company been self-funded then? Did the spray service fund Gus? Yeah, so uh, we've been entirely self-funded. There's no venture capital money. It's basically just been funded through the owners. And as soon as we started manufacturing, we spun off a new entity we call Gus Automation LLC. And that's when the, the official split happened from the commercial spraying business. And really, I mean, very fortunate the way that we set it up. We started building machines, started generating revenue, and we're able to turn a profit year one with that business. So been very beneficial to us, been a big part of our success is that from day one, you know, we could make our own decisions. When we make decisions, it's Dave, myself, and Chase, our, our chief technology officer, um, we sit around the table and we move quickly. We make decisions fast. You know, we Early on, never had to go to the board and say, hey, guys, we're thinking about this. And then we, you know, have six meetings about it before we actually take action. So been very helpful for us. Yeah. And, and how many of the sprayers today of the commercial spraying service are Gus sprayers? So currently we've got 13 in that company 
And there's about 40 air blast sprayers that do the identical job as the Gus's do um, on top of those 13 that are conventional air blast sprayers. So we built the first 10 and really started hitting it hard with those machines. And then the 11th machine built was built for a customer. At that point, we started building one a week and we did 52 deliveries that first year to customers. So we really just focused on customer deliveries. This year, we're sprinkling in a few more builds for our own business to just kind of keep phasing things towards that direction. But obviously, we still have a high value on building for customers and and really getting those machines out as well. Sure. Yeah, and it sounds like there's still more demand out there to be met for sure. What is the average amount of acres that a, a grower would have that'd be a good customer for Gus? And how many of the units are they wanting to buy for that acreage? Sure. So to answer that question, it always depends on the crop, you know, but um, let's just say almonds, for example. Typically, we recommend one sprayer per 500 acres that the grower has. That's a very common rule of thumb. Other crops that have a much higher, you know, spray need, you're going to have to do one sprayer per, you know, a lot less acres than that. And if I own 500 acres and I, I just think these gusses are so cool and I want one, but I'm only going to want one. And I'm still going to need to have somebody out there sort of monitoring it. Is there still a value proposition there? You know, because it's not really a labor savings. It's still the same person, although it's a much more enjoyable job, I think you would probably argue. Are there other, you know, sort of value propositions for someone in that situation to still go Gus's route? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So there is a lot of value to that. And We've had customers that really prove that to us. It's kind of funny you ask because early on in our development, that's what everyone coming to us told us that, oh, well, this doesn't make sense for the small guy. This is just for the big guys. And and honestly, when we started this, that's kind of who we thought we'd be selling machines to, you know, to the big farmers, to the medium-sized farmers, that it wouldn't really be the smaller farmers. However, I had my first customer who came in and bought one sprayer. He changed that mindset for us almost overnight. And, you know, I I said, really? Okay, you're going to buy one, huh? He says, yep. He says, here's my problem, Gary. He said, I'm doing all the spraying right now. He's an owner operator. And he said, you know, I I spray and it's all night work. And then when I run out, I drive my sprayer over to the pump and I have to get off my tractor. I have to fill the materials myself. He said, no matter how hard I'm pushing it, and I push hard, he said, it takes me 45 minutes from the time I leave, the spray turns off, I leave the field, I go over to the pump, I mix, and then I get back to the field. 45 minutes. He said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to have my pickup, I'm going to put the laptop computer in it, or I can monitor Gus, and I'm going to pull a bubble trailer. And while Gus is spraying, I'm going to drive over to the pump, I'm going to mix uh, my material into that bubble trailer. I'll be able to monitor that one machine pretty easily. It's just one sprayer. I drive back to the field and I wait for Gus to stop for its refill. So as soon as Gus stops, it automatically will pull up on the avenue and stop. He hops out, hooks up the hose, turns the pump on, and within three minutes, he's hitting resume on the sprayer, and it's going again. So for him, what was a 45 minutes of downtime is now taking him three minutes. He said, Gary, I'm doubling my acreage. Even though it's still one guy, one sprayer, I'm doing twice as much acreage every shift because of that. So and, you know, it's it's just a much more precise job and, um, you know, allows him to be not just sitting on the tractor all night long. Uh, that's a great example. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense there. 
and how much of a premium would he be paying for Gus than if he was just to go to buy a conventional sprayer? So this customer in particular, it really wasn't that big of a difference because he was using an engine drive um, sprayer already, which is much more costly than a, a PTO driven sprayer. So really to him, it was kind of a no brainer. You know, he, he made the decision. He says, man, this isn't much more expensive capital wise than what I'm already doing. So, but really when it comes to ROI talks, cause that's probably the number one question I get asked in the sales process is, well, what's my return? You know, if I go this route, really it all has to do with labor savings. That's the main thing. You're just using a lot less guys to do the spraying you need to do. Secondarily, it's efficiency. Time after time with all of our customers, with our own sprayers and our own business, the Gus's just spray more acres than the conventional tractors. I mean, and it really all has to do with the break times. So whether it's, you know, meal breaks, bathroom breaks, or the guys stopping to talk to each other, it's just Gus's just tend to be a lot more efficient and just continue spraying. One of the big challenges, and going back to the comment about row crop spraying, when you're in the trees, you're spraying 100 gallons an acre, you know, typically is your minimum, sometimes 200 gallons, sometimes even more per acre. So having said that, you're stopping the machine every 40 minutes or so to refill it. So when you have a bunch of tractor drivers out there having to stop every 40 minutes to get a refill, it just kind of is a built-in problem of inefficiency. So they stop, you know, hopefully it should just take three minutes to do the refill, but it never works that way. So Gus's don't do that. You know, the nurse truck driver pulls up to a Gus, he jumps out, there's nobody to talk to, it's just a Gus sprayer. He hooks up the hose, fills it, and three minutes later, it's spraying again. So typically what we see efficiency-wise is four Gus's are gonna spray about the same acreage as six tractors on a typical shift. So just a lot more acres covered every day. That's great. Do you ever run into it? This is one just hypothetical scenario I had in my mind where, you know, a grower would say, well, you know, I've got my crew. I need that crew for times like harvest. And the rest of the year, I keep them busy through things like spraying. And it's not necessarily labor savings because I need them to have something to do. I don't know if you ever get that pushback at all. You know, we do get that comment at times and um, typically, you know, start that conversation and say, okay, well, First off, it's a phase-in with the Gus, right? So year one, you know, this outfit might have 40 sprayers or something. Year one, you know what? Just start with something manageable. Start with a group of four Gusses. You know, really, you're not even going to probably notice too big of a difference in the labor thing. You shave a, a couple guys and all you're going to do is reallocate them to a different part of the business, right? Because everyone's short of labor. That's just the truth of it. Most farmers are behind on work. I mean, cause they're, you know, just always short of labor. So they're like, Oh yeah, this would be great. I could use these two or three guys and move them over here. You know, I need help on the irrigation side of the business. I need more guys to, you know, just clean up the fields to be on the mower or something. So usually year one, they're just kind of really reallocated. And then after they run the gusses for a while, they kind of reevaluate the situation and say, man, this is just such a better spray dynamic than the conventional side is. So, you know what, let's make another investment by more gust sprayers. And then it's just kind of a slow transition that way. And then just 
you know, hold on to the best guys you got, utilize them in a better way than having them sit on a tractor going two miles an hour all the time. And, you know, really just realizing those efficiencies because spraying, you know, there's a busy season of spraying, but in reality, it's, it's year round, you know, and that harvest time is typically a, let's say a, a month to two month process. So to just have a whole bunch of extra guys around, you know, all year long for one to two months might not be the best route to go. And typically they're having to hire in more guys anyways during the harvest season. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, what's another handful of guys that we got to hire during those two months and then utilize them and then, you know, go back to our regular crew. Right. Well, it would seem like a, a prime customer for Gus would be other custom sprayers, which in a way is a little bit of the competition of the parent company of Gus. Uh, has that happened yet? And if so, you know, do you see that being a, a possible market for you all? Yeah, you know, the the first customers we picked up were custom sprayers. I mean, when they found out we were actually going to start selling our machines, they were just besides themselves because <laughs> that's their everyday life. You know, when you're on a farm, spraying isn't the everyday life. It's a huge part of your life, but it's not, you know, day in, day out, every single day. So the commercial guys really came to us quick and um, it was a touchy situation and it still is today. So when we do um, sell the machines to them, we say, look, let's just kind of have a gentleman's agreement here. You know, no competition either way. Really doesn't help us to sell machines to you. And then you go take away uh, acreage from our commercial business and vice versa. We're not going to sell you Gus's. And then as soon as you get rolling on your new job with your new Gus's, then we're going to come steal your farm from you. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So it's really worked out very well so far. Hmm. Well, we have a lot of critical thinkers that listen to the podcast, and, and I often get skeptical questions on stuff like this, such as, well, yeah, this seems like a really cool technology, but isn't spraying on the way out, right? Chemical agriculture is going to go away. Um, maybe talk about that. First of all, your thoughts on you know spraying orchards in general, but also what else can be used? And my understanding is you know, there's probably even organic products or microbial products that might work with this. Oh yeah, exactly. And and you're exactly right. You know, there's there's a common misconception out there that organic crops aren't sprayed. And that's not true in a lot of cases. And in a lot of cases, they're actually sprayed more often than conventional crops because um, you're using products that have uh, lower efficacy. So you have to get in and continue spraying more frequently just uh, because those products honestly just don't work as well at controlling the pests that you're after or whatever you're trying to do with that product. So whether it is organic or conventional farming, everyone needs sprayers, that's not gonna change. And then as far as your other question on my thoughts on it, I think that there's a market for both, you know, and we gotta, as farmers, meet consumer needs. We obviously in our business think that there's a lot of good to the technology that's gone into agriculture in the last, you know, 50 plus years and the, the products that we're applying to the trees obviously taking every safety precaution necessary to make sure that the consumer's getting the best high value product that they can get. But just all the advancements that we've made as the agricultural community and getting just high yields out of our crops, uh, lowering the carbon footprint of the farm, you know, just doing more with less. 
and um, very, very easy to do when you have all these materials at your disposal. Um, you can really push those limits. So taking all that away definitely changes the game there. But it's good to have a product for all consumers. Okay. And where does precision enter the picture for Gus? Because it seems like the idea here is to really fully cover the tree with what you're spraying. In fact, you don't want to leave, you know, uh, any spots that don't get the application. Is that true? Or or is there some sort of precision attachments that you can put on this and, and kind of spot spray with it? Sure. So just starting out with the precision talk, um, Gus is very, very precise in the regards of precision, mainly has to do with the speed of the vehicle. So again, to spray trees effectively, you have to go at a very slow rate. So two miles an hour is what most of your PCAs are going to suggest. Trying to get a bunch of tractor drivers to do two miles an hour all night long when they're spraying is very, very challenging, as any grower will tell you. And honestly, driving two miles an hour all day long is, is kind of torture. It's very slow and tedious. So having said that, Gus doesn't mind, you know. You set the computer on Gus to do two miles an hour, and it'll do two miles an hour all day, all night. It really doesn't doesn't mind at all. So then you're just getting a much more precise spray um, because it's being applied the way that it was directed to be applied. Also, the areas where Gus turns the spray on and off, like for example, when it's spraying in an orchard or a vineyard, and it goes to make a turn on the avenue and get back into the next row, the spray turns off when you make the turn and then it turns back on as it re-enters the crop. That point where the spray turns off and back on is extremely precise on Gus. And so you can have eight sprayers out in, in one field and every one of them is gonna turn the spray on and off at the exact correct location. Very, very tough to do with tractor drivers. You know, one of them might be pretty good at it and coating the whole tree and not anything extra, but trying to get eight of them all aligned to do that is uh, definitely very challenging. And then you just talk about the flow rate of the material you're putting out there. A lot of these sprays are 100 gallons per acre, so you want to maintain that the whole time you're spraying, the pump pressure, all that. So it's all computer controlled. It's all being monitored full time. So if any one of those parameters gets off, it's going to send an alert. It's going to notify the guy that's supervising the machines and he can take action. And on to your next question about um, the sensors, we do have a product called Select Spray that we add to the machine if a customer requests it. There's a couple markets for this. And essentially what it is is the sensors on the machine that see the crop and turn the nozzles on and spray it. So first off, young trees, very, very beneficial to use Select Spray in the young trees because it's going to see that baby tree, turn the spray on, and then turn the spray off for the gap in between the trees save a lot of chemicals, very cost-effective. Second big market for this select spray is um, Florida. So we spray citrus over there, our customers do. And with all the citrus psyllid, the greening issues over there, any mature grove in Florida is infected to some degree by greening. So you got a very large tree next to a tree that died maybe last year and was reset with a baby tree next to a tree that was reset two or three years ago, which is a medium size. So we actually use three sensors per side on that machine. If it sees a small tree with the bottom sensor, it just turns on the bottom third of the manifold. Two sensors for a medium tree will turn on two thirds of the manifold, and then a mature tree, it'll turn on the whole side of the manifold. So, so we do uh, utilize some of these sensors for select customers. 
I imagine you got this diesel engine in there because it takes quite a bit of power to cover a, a big tree with spray. For the mini gus, did you all look at electric or is it going to be diesel as well? Or is, is that even feasible that something like this could be electric in the future? Uh, so, yeah. So the main horsepower requirement on Gus is the fan. So it's got a 36-inch fan. It's an engine-driven fan off the back of that Cummins motor. That fan alone is going to use about 100 horsepower continuously to blow that spray way up high into the trees. The rest of the horsepower, you know, about roughly 20 to 30 horse is going just to driving the vehicle. It is a hydrostatic-driven vehicle. And then we have some excess uh, horsepower in there in case there's a, a hill climb or you get into a mud situation or something like that. So given that high horsepower demand of the fan, very, very challenging to make that vehicle electric today. We've done the calculations. We'd probably get about a three-hour runtime before it had to be recharged. And that's just honestly something that we're not going to build because no farmer is going to want to go spray for three hours and then have to go recharge it at this point. So having said that, what our plans are and what we're what we're actively working on is instead of doing a foliar air blast sprayer electric is doing an herbicide machine electric. So we're building an herbicide sprayer right now, building the prototype. And that one doesn't have the fan on it because we're just spraying weeds on the ground. So really, essentially, all we're doing is driving the vehicle using, you know, 20, 30 horsepower and running a small herbicide pump. So with that machine we've calced it out and we figure we can get around a 10 to 12 hour runtime on the batteries. And that's a viable product. You know, that's, that's something that our customers are asking us for, you know, first off the herbicide side of things. And secondly, the electrification side of things. So, so that's where we're going to take our first plunge into the electric side, really get to understand and know the systems. And then hopefully in the future, you know, as battery technology improves and the recharging uh, technologies and the infrastructure on farms for the recharging, then we'll take another look at doing the air blast sprayer with it. You know, right to repair is a big uh, topic right now of the machinery companies. And and whenever I see high tech equipment like this, I wonder about, you know, are we just continuing on this trend of making it more difficult for farmers to sort of problem solve on their own? How are you handling this? And And, you know, is this something where there still is equipment that it can easily be serviceable by the farmer themselves? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, we probably are on the other end of that spectrum, I'd say. We spend a tremendous amount of time developing good manuals for our machines, both the operating manuals, the safety manuals, and service manuals. And we're kind of a, <laughs> almost a wide open book about how to work on our machines. And our manuals are very detailed not only on changing parts and servicing things, but also just diagnosing problems. You know, I'm aware of all the controversy with right to repair and all that. And I always question myself whether we're, we're doing it the wrong way, you know, because I feel like we're a fairly open book. Now, having said that, the driving software, stuff like that is not something, you know, for obvious reasons that we would just allow customers to get in and start tweaking and making changes to the source code, so to say mostly just because it could create a, a lot of problems, you know, as you could imagine. But as far as the rest of the machine, it's really a, a pretty simple machine. We always kind of joke about that, that it's the most simple autonomous machine on earth. It's very easy to work on. That's a number one 
priority for us when we build a piece of equipment. You know, just given our background, we're out there spraying all night long. And if it goes down at 2 a.m., we want to be able to fix it fast and get it going again. So we make that very, very simple for growers. Cool. By farmers for farmers. Well, this has been great, Gary. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I, th- I think we got to the majority of my questions here. Anything that you were either hoping to mention that we didn't touch on or that you wanted to, you know, clarify or go deeper on? Uh, no, we're just very excited about the future. You know, our Orchard Gus machine is just kind of the start for us. And we created a product that's been extremely helpful for growers. And yeah, we're we're right about the the hundredth sprayer delivered right now, actually. So just really getting them out there. We're going to be expanding up into the Pacific Northwest here very shortly. Excited to do that, and um, just continuing to look to the future and the more more fun and innovating things that we can do. Well, big thank you to Gary Thompson for joining me on today's show. If you haven't seen the videos of Gus in action, you really need to do that. Gary does a great job of posting them on LinkedIn, where I follow him, and you might want to follow him there. I'll also link to their website, which has got a great video introducing their new mini Gus on the homepage. I want to give a special shout out to a couple of listeners here, Brian Hogue and Dennis Devitt. Both of them recommended Gary for the show and helped to facilitate the connection. And thank you to all of you who continue to listen. I'd never take it for granted. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag innovation.